0: You're listening to Accelerate Churches Podcast, located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. We pray you leave inspired, and this message helps you build your faith. We hope you enjoy this word from our lead pastor, Ernest Grant II. Um, If you don't know, we're in a series. You see it on the screens right there. We're in a series in the book of Ruth. Uh, One of the things that we like to do at Accelerate Church is we want to uh, do something called expository preaching. That just means that we elicit and take the verses from the Scripture, um, and we help apply them to your lives in real time. And so we want to take this ancient story and show how it has modern relevance for your life. And so the book of Ruth is really a a beautiful tale. It's more of a love story, um, and and it can really show how God wants to take our lives from emptiness to fullness, um, I know some of us might be in here today, and we've been empty for a long time. Maybe you've been worn out or exhausted. Whatever it is, um, we believe that this narrative in the book of Ruth is going to kind of help us uh, take over and help us see what God wants to do through that. So why don't you join me? I'm in Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth. I'm in chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. I'll read it for you hearing, and then the band can go, and they kill it so well for us. Here it is. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from a family. His name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, get this, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvester. And she happened to be in a portion of field belonging to Boaz, who was from a family. And later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, Lord, be with you. Lord, bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who is in charge of the harvesters? Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me go gather in the grain, and the fallen grain among the bundles behind the, ser- the harvesters? She came and had been on her feet since early morning, except she rested little in the shelter. Then Boaz Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go gather grain in in another field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servant. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young women have filled. And she fell down on her face, bowed to the ground and said to them, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, and how you have left your father and mother and your native land and how you have come to a place you didn't previously know. And may the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward for the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. My Lord, she said, I found favor with you for you have comforted and encouraged your servant. Although I have not liked one, although I am not like one of your female servants. In the meantime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread, dip it in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the harvesters and offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had leftover. And when she got up from To gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather, and let her even gather grain among the bundles. Don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So 17, so they gathered together in the field, and they gathered, so Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening, so she be out what she had gathered. And it was about 26 quarts of barley. And she picked up the grain and went into the town where the mother-in-law saw What she had gleaned. And she bought out to the rest of the leftover from the meal and gave it to her. Verse 19. And her mother in law said to her, Where did you gather barley today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the man that noticed you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, The man whom I work with today is Boaz. And then Naomi said to the daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or to the dead. Naomi continued, The man, this man, or the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. But Ruth, the Moabitess said, He also told me, Stay with my young men until they have finished all of the harvest. So Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Ruth, my daughter is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz, female servants, and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Therein ends the reading of God's word. Why don't you pray with me? You could turn me it down a little bit. You know I yell. Father, I pray and thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your mercy that's been bestowed upon us so richly in your son, Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Lord, you died for us. And Father, I pray that you will bless this time. May this word fall on fertile soil so that the people of God may hear the word of God and ultimately be changed. So, Lord, we thank you. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody that agree with that, say, amen. amen. You know, um, before we launched Accelerate Church, you may not know this, but we, we looked all over South Jersey for a venue. We looked in schools, community centers. We looked at other churches, um, but we had no avail. We just could not find a place. Uh, it, one person on our leadership team actually looked at 50 different locations in the South Jersey area. And so it was a, it was an amazing journey. But as the launch was approaching, we had no prospects at all. And then I, I thought we found a location right? It was a new community center that had just been built. It was beautiful. It was in our target area. We could have sat some 700 people in there. Uh, like we were like, yo, this place is great, amazing parking. And so what we did was we was like, okay, this is going to come through. So we scheduled an appointment with a company called Portable Church. That's who supplied all the equipment that you see here. And we scheduled them to come out on a Friday, and then, as, as things were transpired, the, comp- the, the, the venue fell apart on Thursday. And so here I had this company coming out on Friday, but we didn't have a venue on Thursday. Can I be honest with you, church? I, after it fell apart, I was in the car cussing. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was up, upset, mad. So I did what any self-respecting man would do. I got on Google. And I just started Googling locations. I said in my mind, God, surely there's somewhere that you have called us to. Surely you have a plan in place for us. We're not seeing it right now, but I'm sure, God, that you are working behind the scenes to bring about your desired will for our lives. And so the first place I called was down the street. They didn't pick up. And then I just so happened to call where we're at today, the Marion House. Yes. Yes. Praise God for that. Funny enough, the owner, who is our now landlord, who we have a great relationship with, happened to be down here, and he normally is at the shore. And then once I called, I showed up here. I happened to be two minutes down the road. We came here. We talked. We talked about this location. He had just gotten it and was renovating it, and he was looking for somebody to be here on Sunday. And so let me ask you this question. How would you describe that amazing turn of events. What would you say about that? How, how, what would you, how would you diagnose that? If, depending on your view, some of you might say, well, pastor, the, the truth is, is that you were just lucky. You were just really, really fortunate. It, it was a random occurrence. It was simply a coincidence. Um, you just happened to be, pastor, at the right place at the right time. Because we believe that life is a dice roll, and sometime you're lucky, and sometime you're not. And it just so happened that that time you were lucky. And Christians, however, I would say, we have a different vantage point on these things. See, Christians don't believe in luck or fate or chance. We believe in something called providence. Providence is, what is a subset of this theology called God's sovereignty. What we believe is that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, majestic, and he's the ruler over all things. We don't have a deist mindset like the founding fathers that said that he just kind of turned, he just cranked the world up and kind of just let it go into motion. No, no. We believe that God micromanages even the smallest details of our lives. And so Matthew 6 basically says it like this. He cares about the dietary needs of the birds and the photosynthesis process with the lilies. So, so he's deeply intertwined in and present in the details that happen in our lives. And so he does also anything you see happens because God either wills it or allows it in order to bring about his desired outcome on the other hand. And he does that, check this out, he does that without negating your choice. He's built your choice and your free will all into his sovereignty. So what he does now is because he's sovereign over all things, sometimes he brings about his will through this thing called providence. Providence is when he takes a step back, he's anonymous, and what he does is he tweaks and twists and sets things up so that he can bring about his intended outcome. To say this another way, God works behind the scenes in order to bring his will into the foreground. Uh, This is an imperfect analogy, but I'll I'll use it anyway because I think you'll catch my drift. Uh, Not so long ago, it was actually this week, uh, our creative director and I, Robin Williams, traveled down to uh, Charleston, South Carolina for the ARC National Conference. That's the network of churches that we're affiliated with. Uh, And Rob probably doesn't remember this because he fell asleep at takeoff. But I, was, but I was awake the whole time, right? And so um, once the flight took off, we were just circling in the air. And um, I don't know about you, but that kind of makes my stomach queasy. We were in what we can describe as a holding pattern. And apparently, we needed to be in that holding pattern for a while because we, we later found out is that the air traffic controller noticed that there was a malfunction on the plane. And he said the way that it could get rectified was if we just flew around Philadelphia for a while. And so I didn't know any of this was going on. So I was getting super frustrated. I was like, we just got this first class upgrade. Shout out. Amen. I always tell you, always ask for the upgrade. We had gotten the first class upgrade. We're sitting there hanging out. And I'm like, well, what's going on? But what I had to do was trust that the air traffic controller knew what they were doing. I had to trust that this air traffic controller who was coagulating and looking at the radars and looking at the computers and all those things was doing what was necessary in order to keep us safe in the air. And I'll say in a very finite way, that is kind of what God is doing in history, or that is, the, that is our vantage point as Christians, is that somehow we don't understand what God is doing all the time, we don't understand the seasons of our life, but what we trust is that God is working behind the scenes, coagulating and coordinating all things so that he can ultimately bring about his desired outcome. Christians don't leave it to chance. We leave it to the creator. And so I don't know about you, but I'm so happy for providence because you know why? I've made some bad decisions before. I've made some bad decisions that I regret, but what I've noticed is that sometimes disappointing decisions are actually divine direction. God is like, I will let you make this mistake, and then I will show you how good I am by rerouting you and still putting you on course that I want you on. Sometime your apparent accidents are nothing more than almighty appointments. God is like, "No, you need to run into this pain. You need to run into this right now because I'm building, shaping, developing your character. Sometime obedience will run run you into a problem that God wants to use to develop your character." And so Christians hold this idea of providence. We don't think that things are just happening randomly. We believe that God is working behind the scenes intentionally. And what we'll see in our passage today Ruth is in Ruth is a portrait of what providence looks like. Now, you've probably heard this idiom before. Uh, you've probably heard the idiom, a glimmer of light or a glimmer of hope. And a glimmer of hope is the belief uh, the slight chance that something is going to be positive. And we see this glimmer of hope in chapter 1, verse 22. The author notes that um, it was in the middle of the barley season where Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, got their passport stamped and moved from Moab back onto Bethlehem, where they should have been initially. And so, according, so, this was in the barley season, and according to the law, whenever the crop started to come out of the ground, you would take the first portion of that crop, you would go to Jerusalem, and you would offer it in the temple as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. Y'all following me? This is what we call first fruits. And this is something that all of the town was doing at that time. They would all take their crop, go to Jerusalem, they would offer it as a thanksgiving sacrifice, and then they come back. And they begin to harvest the crop from dust till dawn. So what's happening in this passage is that Ruth and Naomi are coming back on the tail end of the first fruits. So now everybody is coming back into town and they're about to start harvesting and Ruth and Naomi just so happen to come during that time. Is that a coincidence or is that providence? And so verse 2, Ruth says to Naomi, will you let me go into a field and gather grain behind someone with whom I found favor. She left the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. Naomi says, yeah, go, my daughter. Now, if you remember Naomi, Naomi changed her name to Mara. She's very bitter. She's so bitter, in fact, that they had a 40-mile walk from Moab to Bethlehem, and she didn't talk to her the whole time. Some of us don't even like being, not being talked to for 10 minutes in the car. Imagine walking 2.5 miles an hour, and someone doesn't talk to you for a day, though they're in close proximity to you. And so, but here she's talking again. On top of that, she called her daughter, which seems to mean that the relationship had been repaired. Let me just say, say to somebody, stop giving up on relationships too early. Don't give up on people too early, because what this demonstrates is that A relationship can be broken in one season and be fixed in another season. Because some of us, we brag about cutting people off, then we complain about being lonely. And the problem is, is that you are not bearing with one another, you're burying the relationship. And God is like, I don't need you to have a funeral for that relationship yet. It's not like they're causing you harm, they're just rubbing up against your sensibilities. You are just upset that they are pointing out idiosyncrasies that are not congruent with the Scriptures. And you're ready to cut them off. No, don't cut them off. Don't bury a relationship that God just gave birth to. Let me, let me go on. That's not really my notes, but I figured that somebody needed to hear that. Uh, uh, because some of, us just get, some of us just give up. The, the Bible talks about that you need to, keep, you need to um, be prepared for somebody to offend you. You cannot have an authentic and genuine relationship unless you are offended by them. You don't walk in a real relationship until they've offended you, and you have to continue to be in that relationship a long time. You, you haven't been in a real relationship until you're offended. Let me go on. That ain't in my notes. Let me just move on. I've saved that for our relationship series. I got it. Don't worry. And so, and so... Um, so, okay, this is good. So maybe you're wondering to yourself, okay, so Ruth is like, yo, I'm going to go get some grain in the field. So some of you might be wondering, why is there any grain in the field? If the harvesters have already come through and harvested the grain, why is there any left? I'm so glad you asked. Well, well God had a particular care for poor people. And so what he did was he implemented a public policy to prevent permanent poverty. Are you hearing me? And so, what he allowed to happen is he said, "No, no, I'm going to. Ha- I don't. I don't want the harvesters to go all the way to the ends of the field. I want them to leave a portion of the grain so that people who were less fortunate could come around and grab the grain, and then they would take it, and then they would go make meals for it. So, what God was doing was paying special attention to poor people." Let, let me bring it into today. It's like, it's like companies not maximizing their profit for the benefit of giving their workers a livable wage. Are y'all hearing me today? It's, 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 it's not maximizing your profit for the benefit of taking care of poor people. And so, under these laws, they would have been protected and all of those things. Now, here's what I want to know Ruth says to Naomi, Let me go into the field. My question is, is Naomi, how come you didn't go with her? If you commuted from Moab to Bethlehem, which is about 35 miles away, it seems to presuppose that you're able-bodied. On top of that, you know that it would have been safer for, a, for a, 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 an immigrant in this field to do it if they had another woman with you. She could have been exposed to physical abuse and all of those type of things. I, I, I don't know why she didn't go. Maybe she was dealing with the trauma of transition. Maybe she was dealing with the pain of leaving Moab in her former life to embrace this new life. I I don't know, but what I do know is that when you stop believing in God's goodness and give yourself over to doubt and worry, you can easily sink into inactivity that only makes your situation worse. What she was doing was she was sulking in bitterness, And Ruth is like, I just can't sit here and mourn the life that we had. I have to embrace the life that we have. I, I can't sit with you and be mourning over Epi- Elimelech and Malin and Chalon. I'm sorry that that happened. But if we don't do something now, we are going to miss out on our, on getting what God ultimately wants us to have. In other words, what I believe Ruth was experiencing, or Naomi rather was experiencing, was pre-traumatic stress disorder. In other words, she was... Ant- Anticipating the losses of life that were going to happen. Anticipating all of the hardship that was going to come and that left her in a state of analysis paralysis. Are y'all hearing me today? She just stayed in that position and Ruth is like, no, you got to get going. No, we got to eat. I'm not going to be overcome by hunger pains. I'm not going to do all that. Here's what I want to say to somebody. At times, you have to uh, uh, mourn over the life you wish you had and embrace the new life that you do have. I, 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 know, I know that some of us are looking back longingly over the past. You might have wanted what happened in 2019. Maybe your career was budding, your relationship was going well, but you have new ground in front of you that God wants you to take on, and you can't move into the future when you're too focused in the past. Are y'all hearing me, church? There's a statute of limitations on having your friends stand with you in bitterness. Because eventually your bitterness is going to rub off on them because 1 Corinthians tells us that bad company corrupts good morals. And so all I'm saying is that, let me give you some words in case I have some Piperians in here. John Piper, this is what he says. He says, occasionally weep deeply over the life you hope over the life you hope would be, grieve the loss, wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life that you have. And so I'm just trying to tell somebody, embrace, there it is, occasionally weep deeply over the life you hope, I'm messing up, there it is, you just, just trust me, it says that. Anyway, <laughs> what he's saying is, is embrace the life that you have. You only have one life. How long are you going to sulk in the hardship of 2018? How long are you going to lay and wade in the pool of self-pity? God is like, I've got an entire life for you to live. You do not have to do that. He goes on here in the passage. Ruth says, listen, I'm just going to go into the field, and I'm going to hope that God gives me favor. The reason I like this is because she didn't go back and forth about a decision. Right? She didn't get analysis paralysis. She didn't let the weight of a decision incapacitate her. Like some of us don't make decisions because we're afraid of making the wrong decisions. We're afraid that if we make decision that goes awry, that somehow it's going to ruin our destiny and mess up our future. Can I tell you, Christian, that that is a faith problem? It's a faith problem. See, because when you understand providence, you will trust God to lead you even when you get off course. Y'all ain't talking back to me here today. It's okay. It's okay. It's still early. Like, like, like when you get off course, you can trust that God is going to lead you. Then the text goes on. It says, it says this. It says, she happened to be in a field, of the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Now the Hebrew here is so so interesting. That's the original manuscripts from that time, and the Hebrew is very interesting. It reads, "Her chance chanced upon the allotted portion of the field of Boaz." You you see that? So so who is Boaz? Number one, Boaz is a relative of Naomi, um, Elimelech's deceased husband, and this is important to know because according to the Israelite custom, the family would have been tasked with taking care. Of, uh, of the family members that were destitute. So not only was this man a man of means, but we also find out that he was a man of integrity and character. And so that means that his soul was wealthy and his pockets were wealthy as well. He had a big 401k, but he also had a big heart to love people, right? Like, I, like listen, let me go on. I'll say that for our relationship series. But let me just say, like, don't be impressed by finances. Be impressed by someone's character. Be impressed with somebody's character. Be impressed, not just how they look. You want to be attracted to them. Amen, right? You want to love them. But at the same time, if their character is is off, it's going to totally destroy that relationship long-term. Let me just go on here. Let me just go on. So the text says that he was a man of character. Now, let's just, now now come back. Let's recap for a second. Can we do that? Let's just recap. It says that Naomi and Ruth hear in verse 1, in chapter 1, verse 6, that there is food in Bethlehem. And so they leave Moab to come to Bethlehem. And it just so happens that Ruth continues with Naomi her mother-in-law, and they go into Bethlehem in the middle of the harvest season. Then it just so happens that she begins to harvest grain or glean grain, and she just so happened to go into the field of her kinsman redeemer or her husband or her husband's, uh, somebody in her husband's line. Like, like when you look at all that, you have to say, can all of that happen by random chance? Is something like that happenstance. But what the author is trying to let us know that this is not happenstance, this is divine direction, and it is sovereign orchestrating of God who is trying to work all things out to the counsel of his own will. Are y'all hearing me today, church? And so when you understand providence, what it causes you to do is to see the seasons of your life differently. Y'all hear? Let me illustrate it. Um, you may not believe this about me, many people don't, <laughs> but um, I'm kind of a contrarian. I don't know if you have, I, don't, I mean, I know, nobody would believe that, you don't really know me that well, but I'm kind of a contrarian, like a little bit, right? And so um, my family is mostly from North Carolina around the Raleigh area, and they bleed Tar Hill blue, right? They love UNC, did somebody just cheer? I thought somebody, okay, I'm like, we got North Carolina people here, shout out to you. Uh, so, so they bleed Tar Heel blue, right? My cousins and my family have all gone to UNC. And so I was about eight years old and I said, you know what? It's no need of all of us cheering for the same team. I I don't see how that really makes sense. So I decided, I don't know why, but I decided, I said, you know what? I'm going to cheer for their arch rivals, their crosstown rivals, the Duke Blue Devils. And as you can imagine, this has caused some real division in our family. Uh, Because on top of that, not only did I cheer for the Duke Blue Devils, but I said, hey, since I'm rooting for a team that everybody hates, I might as well cheer for other teams that everybody hates. And so I started to cheer for the Lakers, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Eagles, started to cheer for uh, for a brief time. I was a, a Yankees fan. I said, you know, I might as well just go for it. University of Miami football fan. I said, let me just go for it, right? But anyway, like Duke had, you know, I chose Duke, but they had some really, really bad seasons. But here's what I did. I trusted that Coach K had the ability to recruit players, and here, here, it is. Here it is. Come on, come on in. Here's the point. Here, I didn't base the su- I didn't base the success of the program upon one bad season. <laughs> Y'all ain't. T- <laughs> what I'm saying is that the same thing applies to your life. When you know that God is working behind the scenes, you don't judge your life by the pain of one season. Right. Like like the pain of one season does not have to destroy the rest of your life. I know that you made poor decisions. I know you made a poor choice. It was horrible judgment. But one bad season does not have to destroy or define the rest of your life. I feel God just saying to someone in here, you want to wallow in failure when I just want you to stand up in faith. But on the other hand, if you experience a season of favor, I don't want your, I don't want God's providence to prop up your, or promote your pride. When you're experiencing God's favor, it should actually feed your humility. Because listen, don't define yourself by a bad season, but this is the words of Tim Keller. Don't let the pain uh, Don't let the pain of that season get to your heart, but don't let the success of another season get to your head. Because God has a way of taking his holy weed whacker and cutting down your overgrown ego. He's got a way. He knows how to to cut it back. And listen, on top of that, I just want to push a little further. Do you mind? When you experience success, don't think it's because you manifested it. Let, let me just, okay, I'm in the building. I in. it's 930, but we in the building. Don't think it's because you manifested it. Be careful about letting that lingo linger in your lexicon too long. Like, like, sure, you set goals. Shout out to you. You set goals. You stuck with a plan, but it was God's sovereignty that bought all of that about. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. One of the problems with manifesting or, or, or focusing your mind on a goal and thinking that you attract success is that it fools you into believing that you are the creator and master of your own destiny. No, no, that's, that's not what happened. There is only one creator who is God. There is, he spoke the world into being, and he's the one that gives generously, right? Uh, uh, but what you want... Oh, yeah, this is good. Okay, I wrote this in the back. What happened was, what you wanted and God's will align together. It wasn't because you manifested it. Because do you, if you take credit for manifesting the favor, do you also take credit for manifesting the mess? All right, let me, let me, let me, let me just go. Let me go on. Because all I'm saying is that our Bible tells us that the reason we have what we have is because of, because God gave it to us. First Chronicles 29, 14, all good things come of thee, O Lord, and have thine own have you given thee. James 1, 7, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, who there's no change in shadow of turning. What you have, whether you believe in God or not, is a product of his providential hand blessing you. Can I push a little further? Can I push a little further? Let me say this. Um, yes manifesting is nothing more than spiritual plagiarism. Let me say that again. I should have it on the notes. Manifesting is nothing more than spiritual plagiarism because you're taking credit for a favorable portion of your story that you didn't write. (laughs) I'm just letting you know that. You didn't write that story. You didn't shift that narrative. But God did so. All right, so let's go back. I got two minutes, so let me let me let me let me flow through here. So what we see is God. What we see is she actually Ruth does actually get kindness and favor with Boaz. And you know that someone is being favorable when they speak kindly of you, when they show generosity. That's what he did. They vow to protect you. All of these things, like it it was a really really amazing thing. And Boaz tells her, the reason I'm showing you kindness and I'm giving you more than enough food so that that food carries you home. And the reason I'm being so kind is because the extraordinary kindness of your mother in law has been, has come to my ears. And uh, and, and on top of that, you have taken refuge under God's wings. In other words, what he's saying is that you, excuse me, you didn't go and try to make it your way. You didn't try to do it with your plan. You decided to follow God, and now he's provided a solution for you. Here's what I want you to know. Like some of us are worrying about problems in our lives when God is already working on the solution right? She was wondering whether she was going to find favor, but little did she know that she was in Boaz's yard gleaning, and little did she know that Boaz was a man of integrity and character. So what happened was she had a problem. She started walking in the direction, and what God did in his providence is work on the solution while she was still focused on the problem. I I, I just get the feeling in here that some of y'all might just be worried about a problem, Something is keeping you up at night. Something is raising your blood pressure. Someone is upsetting you. And I just feel through this narrative that God is saying to us, I'm already working on the solution. I'm already working on it. The solution may not look like you want it to look. It may look a little differently. I don't know if Ruth thought that gleaning in the field from dusk till dawn was the solution to her problem, but somehow God said, if you do the work and take one step to me, I'll take two to you. That's what's happening in our narrative. So your solution may not be an easy fix. Some of us want microwave solutions when you got crock-pot problems. You, you, you want micro—you got, you got smoker problems, and God is like, I want to fix it, but give me some time. But in the meantime, why don't you just do something? Get up out of the house. Stop blaming it on depression when it's just anxiety and apprehension about moving forward. Let me go on here. Let me, let me, just, let me just go on here. Let me move on. Here it is. Here it is. And I'm closing on this. You can play real, real wonderfully like I know you're going to play. Here, here's the thing. Boaz— is in prime position. That sounds so good. Boaz is in prime position to set Elimelech, his relative's family, up long-term. What he's able to do is he's able to redeem their family line, he's able to fix their finances, and ultimately fix some of the brokenness that they've experienced from their poor decisions. And can I just tell you, church, that this story is just not a historical account between a, a historical love story Boaz is a picture of the God we serve named Jesus because like Boaz Jesus is able to heal you and I comprehensively all of the brokenness that exists God is able to heal it I, I, I'm, I'm serious with this I really really want you to pray for the Grant family it's my family and I It's nothing wrong with us. We just spend way too much money at Chick-fil-A. Nothing wrong with us. Just spend a lot of money at Chick-fil-A. Every Friday, like, I legitimately love being a dad. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. And one of the things we do every Friday is we go to Chick-fil-A, and then we go to Five Below, which, ironically, is just a—but they sell items over $5. So I don't understand that. I I don't—I don't understand that. It's like a glorified dollar store, I just hate it. I, I'm going to call them out on that. Please edit that out of there. I love people. I love the, the, the people at Five Below. I love all of them. And if you want to sow into, sow a seed into Accelerate Church, you can, you can do that. And so my kids, they go and buy these toys. And I'm going to be honest with you. The toys are so defective. They play with them for a little bit and, and they're just, they're just, they, just, they just get broken. And then they know we're going to go back next week and we're going to get more toys, which is great. And so what I do oftentimes, I just throw them out, and I just know we're going to go back. And as I think about us and how defective we are, I'm just so glad that Jesus does not dispose of us. I'm just so thankful. Like, I don't think a lot of times we are really aware of just how broken we are as humans. Sin is, and, and sin just means that you're missing God's mark of holiness A lot of Christians think it's judicial, like, oh, your punishment. No, sin is like a sickness of the heart that turns the heart on itself and and causes us to worship us instead of our creator. It's less judicial and it's more relational. It's like an internal sickness that we have. And I mean, we, we serve ourselves rather than God. We hurt people and we slander them with our words. We stretch the truth to try to bolster our egos. We use our bodies to gratify our lust, instead of using them to work for God, it like it is, it is really impossible to quantify the effects of this heinous thing called sin in our lives. But I'm thankful that two thousand years ago, that God did not throw us away, but He sent His Son Jesus Christ. And here's this: He saw our brokenness, and His solution was not to dispose us. But his solution is, was to become broken for us. So on the cross, he allowed his side to be impaled, his hands to be pierced, and he transferred all of the sin and guilt that was resting on us onto him. And he's fixed us. He's fixed us because of what he's done on the cross. Listen, I'm just going to be honest, and this is not a dig or a shot at any other religion or, or, or your spirituality or anything of that sort, but this is just the truth. Every other religion and every other form of spirituality focuses on what you can do for God. It focuses on transcendental meditation and the five Hodges and praying enough and all of those things. And what you do is you live in a perpetual state of works-based righteousness or uh, trying to perpetually please God in heaven. Here's what we know is that we are unable in our own ability and power to please God. We're jacked up. We're messed up. We lie and cheat and do all type of things. But the Christian message says, it's about what God has done for us on the cross of Calvary. By leaving his holy habitation and the comforts of heaven with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and coming down into this flesh, becoming a human and experiencing the, the pain that we should have. And that alone causes Christians to worship God. That alone causes us to get on our knees and say, God, we owe our devotion to you, not not of our own, but unto you, O God. And I'm just telling you today, you're not here by chance or fate or happenstance. Just like the events surrounding this building, God providentially wanted you here today to hear this message. And to let you know that he loves you. That he doesn't want you running away from him. That he's a good father. That you need a church that loves you. You need a pastor that's praying for you. And you need to fight for your joy in this season. Because the devil will try to steal it from you. And so listen, I'm, I'm done. I, I'll say this and, and I'll finish up. I just want to see you win. I really do. I want to see you Walk with Jesus, be transformed by him, and ultimately do what Jesus did. But none of that is going to happen unless you're willing to surrender your life. When you get, you have to get to the point where you say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I want to embrace your way. And so I don't know if that's you today, but here's what I want to say. If that's you today and you're like, God, I want to surrender. I want you to text this link. I want you to text A-C-T-B to 94000. We have this thing called automation, so it'll send you a text message back. And then I want you to list what it is that you desire. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to be baptized and go public with your faith. That's what baptism is. It's letting the world know that you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know what it is, but I do sense in this building today that someone needs to take a next step. So I'm going to ask you this question. What is God saying to you right now? What's he saying to you right now? So, why don't you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to pray for you, but I want to ask you a question. What's, uh, What's God saying to you right now? What does he want you to do? What does he want you to give up? Who have you thrown away that you need to pursue? Father, I pray for those under the sound of my voice today. Pray that you will be with them and encourage their soul and remind them that they're deeply loved by you. Lord, I thank you for them and just thank you for how you're going to use them and the things you're going to do in their life. Father, I pray that you will help them take the next steps. Lord, whatever that is. Lord, some of us are depending on luck when we should be depending on your providence. And I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you encourage their hearts and their souls. And so, Lord, we love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody that agree with that, say, amen, amen, amen.